Amen. Bless the Lord. We heard a really interesting reading uh, from the Gospel of Luke just a few moments ago. But before we get to that, I need to say a few words about what I saw take place over this past week. As I watched the events play out for the hearings of Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, as I'm guessing many of you watched as well, I was struck by how desperately these old white men in the Senate Judiciary Committee wanted to hold on to their power. They were angry, they were rude, they were refusing to investigate a man who was about to receive a lifetime appointment. This is to say nothing about whose side we are on. You need to investigate a man who's going on to the Supreme Court. And it was all because these individuals wanted to hold on to their power. They were focused on earthly desires first and foremost. The Bible says, though, that we should fix our thoughts on things above. That in Christ we are a new creation created in God's image. And so I want to talk this morning about how we forget our identity And then I want us to think about what it might mean to be created in the image of a generous God. I've titled this sermon, This is Who We Are. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O God. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Yes, church, we are talking about identity this morning. And for today, perhaps we're going to be reading from my favorite book, as I said, the book of Colossians. Please turn with me in your pew Bibles to Colossians. It's on page 178 in your New Testaments. Um, Or you can pull it up on your phone. If you brought your own Bible, you can get it there. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be reading. And we're going to be starting on the first verse of that chapter. Colossians 3 chapter... Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Colossians 3 verse 1. We read, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and clothed yourselves with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. 
There's a lot there. (laughs) There's a lot there for us to work with. But this passage carries with it a lot of details about what our lives will look like when we are in Christ. Our identity, our core, some might even say our soul, whatever you would like to call it, the Bible makes it clear that we will find our true self in Christ. Okay, hold that thought. I want to get us to a story first. About six years ago, my oldest child, Evelyn, was just an infant. And my wife, Amanda, and I were still adjusting to this new life as first-time parents, and we were managing rather well. Evelyn was healthy and happy, so that's a start. She was starting to sleep a little bit more. And Amanda and I were both back to working our jobs full-time, and so we were able to find a way to balance child care with doing the necessary work hours. And on top of that, we were paying our bills on time, we were cooking and grocery shopping, and we were even keeping our house relatively clean. Relatively. But there was one aspect of our life that both Amanda and I were neglecting. I realized it when I went to the doctor's office for my annual routine checkup about nine months after Evelyn was born. In the nine months that we had lived together as a family of three, I had not so much as gone on a brisk walk. Prior to my daughter being born, I was playing basketball three days a week and going on a run on the weekends. But since the day that she was born, I probably hadn't even broken a sweat. And this is nine months later. Let that be a a warning sign to any potential parents out there. And you better believe, though, that my doctor noticed. You've put on 15 pounds since your last visit, he said. Your blood pressure is much higher than last year, he said. Your cholesterol is not where it should be, he said. You're probably not getting enough exercise, he said. Well done, doctor. Real sleuth work there. Yes, he was absolutely right. And thankfully, around that same time, one of my friends in town came to a very similar realization. He didn't have a kid to blame it on, but he had put on a lot of weight since graduating college. And so he and I both decided that we needed to start having, like, working out together. Because after all, they show that if you have a workout partner, there's a 42% better chance that you'll stick to it. And so we began getting together every morning at 6 a.m. He would show up in my driveway and we would head off to the gym together. And during this time, we needed something to keep us on task. We didn't really know a lot about exercise in general. And so what we decided to do was some of those workout videos that are really popular. We started with P90X. Has anyone ever heard of that or done that before? Oh, yeah. We had a lot of fun with that, but then we got bored with it, and we discovered a workout series called Insanity. Has anyone done that one? Oh, yeah. The name is quite fitting if you're not familiar. Go YouTube it this afternoon. These hour-long workouts are incredibly intense and, yes, at times, insane. But my friend and I, we had each other, right? There was a 42% better chance that we were going to stick to it, and so we did. And we would keep pushing each other and working and trying. And we'd urge one another on during those workouts. And then when we were too out of breath to even say a word, thankfully, the, the man leading the video series would encourage us onward. His name, as you might know, is Sean T. And he has a lot of really encouraging and not so encouraging things today. Sean T is sort of a a, a boot camp instructor, maybe a little bit nicer than that. But he'd say things all throughout these videos like, you can do it, or push, 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 or try harder, focus, focus. He was, again, like a, a nice boot camp instructor. 
But in the midst of all these push-ups and sit-ups and squats and sprints, every now and then, Shanti would utter a phrase that my friend and I latched onto. Every now and then, he would say, this is who you are. It was our favorite part. We started to yell it to one another. And even when we weren't doing the workout videos, right? Like, can you pick up that thing at the store for me? Yeah, this is who you are. There's something undeniably compelling about this phrase and the idea that it expresses. Sean T. was telling us not just that we were capable of completing the insane workout routine. He was telling us that our essence, our very identity was as a person who completed these workout routines. This is who you are is an incredibly powerful phrase that has the potential to seal a person's identity. Think about it. Children who are told that they're loved and valued often grow up to be very successful adults simply because their parents or guardians or teachers instilled that identity within them. And the unfortunate truth is that the opposite is true as well. Children who hear that they're worthless and have no value, that they're never good enough, often never amount to much. Their potential is chopped off before it can even get started. But here's the thing, church. Whatever we might be told in our youth, whatever Sean T. might have to say to us, whatever we hear from our friends or our enemies or from politicians, whatever these people might have to say about who you are, as Christians, we believe that's not the full story. Only God gets to tell us who we are. Jesus tells us who we are. God tells us who we are. The Bible tells us who we are. And anything else anyone might have to say on the matter is secondary. We heard it in this passage from Colossians that I read in the beginning. Our identity is in Christ. We have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. And so that means that we are not the people we used to be. Listen again to a portion of this Colossians passage. It says that we are in Christ, and so that means that we have stripped off the old self with its practices, and we are clothed ourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. This is who we are, church. We are new beings in Christ who are being molded in the image of God, our Creator. The Bible also says, in case you are curious, that we are children of peace. We are the body of Christ. We are made in the image of God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are citizens of heaven. This is who we are. Why would we want to believe any other message? But that's the problem, isn't it? Even though the Bible has all these beautiful things to say about our identity, so often we choose to believe something different. The forces of evil are very active in this world. And the forces of evil are constantly trying to urge us to believe in ideas that are completely different from what God has said. As we saw this week, some people believe that preserving power is more important than acting with compassion. Some people believe that if you are not successful, then you are not valuable. Some people believe that selfishness is a virtue or that money can buy happiness or that their physical desires are more important than another person's humanity. 
And all of these are lies. They are not the ways God intended us to live. They are not the way we were created to be. They are sinful, evil lies that keep us from discovering our true identity. We are children of God and children of life. We are made in the image of God. This is who we are, and so we've got to stop letting the world convince us of something different. You might be thinking, though, Pastor, Pastor, this this all sounds nice. But could you give me some specifics? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, church. (laughs) Let me fill in this picture for us a little bit more. Here's what I know. I know that the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, even though God didn't have to. God created the world simply because God is good and gracious and generous. And so that means, church, that means that we are created to be gracious and creative, and generous. We are created in the image of God, and so that means that we've been created to be loving and giving individuals. This is who we are. This is how God made us. If we want to live lives that are full and complete, if we want to live in the ways that God created us and intended us to live, then that means that we're going to need to be gracious and generous people. I remember when my daughter was 18 months old. And she would spend all of her time toddling around and picking up random objects and then bringing them to me or to her mother. And as she got older, Evelyn would scribble on pieces of paper and proudly present them to me as a gift. And her brother, when he was younger, he was the same way as well. Nearly all children are like this. They love to make something for you And they love to then give that to you as a present. That's because, church, they haven't been corrupted by all the selfishness in society yet. Young children can't help but be generous because God created them to be generous. This is who they are. And so, Reformation, I'm challenging you to be generous. Lean into that aspect of your character because it's there. This is who God made you to be. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time talking about money and possessions? (laughs) Nearly half of Jesus' parables in the scripture have something to do with money or possessions. In the Gospels alone, there are a total of 288 verses, someone counted, not me, that speak directly about money. Jesus knew that money was a spiritual problem. He knew that if we didn't get our money right, then a lot of other stuff in our life would fall apart as well. Jesus knew that we were created to be generous. But Jesus also knew that if we were tight with our money or too attached to our stuff, then we would be losing a part of our soul. When you look at the ways that the super wealthy behave these days, it's certainly hard to disagree with that assessment. Jesus invites us to a different way of life. A way of life that reflects the character of God. A way of life that is gracious and compassionate and, yes, generous. When we freely give of our incredibly precious time or abilities or possessions, we declare that we believe in a different way of life. 
When we give, we acknowledge that our life is different than the dominant capitalist narrative. When we give, it starts to break the system. Through giving, we announce that our definition is found in God, not in our bank account. When we give, through giving, we remind ourselves that money does not make the world go round. God does. Through giving, we proclaim that our relationship with God is far more important than our relationship with earthly desires. Church, I'm asking you to take this seriously. I'm asking you to get further in touch with the generous person God created you to be because our world needs it. The world needs people who believe in a different way of life. The world needs people who are fully alive. The world needs people who are still in touch with their soul. Even though this world seems to be getting more selfish and more ugly by the minute, we're called to be who God created us to be. We're called to be gracious and compassionate and forgiving and generous. This is who we are. Because this is who God made us to be. So let's recover our identity in Christ, church. Let's show our hurting world a different way to live. Amen.